I've said this before, but I think it's worth saying again. Uh, anytime somebody gives me advice on what I should preach, normally when I'm not asking for it, but if they do, they always suggest the book of Revelation. You should preach the book of Revelation, Pastor. I always respond when I, if I do, which I, I think I will at some point, but if I do, it will be a lot of, I'm not really sure what this means. Okay, that's going to be a lot of that. So buckle up if that, if that comes to be where I preach the whole book of the Bible, uh, the whole Revelation. But as it is today, I am preaching from the book of Revelation. One small uh, passage, uh, typically it's my practice to preach through a book of the Bible, all the way through verse by verse. And we're going to do two books starting next week as I start 1st and 2nd Timothy next week. So you'll want to be here for that. But today I'm going to look at Revelation chapter 11, verses 3 through 13, in a sermon entitled, The Witness of the Witnesses. The Witness... Of the witnesses, if you haven't already caught on, it's concerning the famous two witnesses from the book of Revelation. So let's pray together and then journey into this passage. Join me now as we pray to the one true living God. God, we do proclaim, you are great. It's a thank you that we can sing to you how great you are. Father, we pray that through your greatness, through your grace, that you speak to us this morning, through your word, the Holy Bible, breathe out by you, for the good of your church, and God, for the proclamation of the gospel, for those who are lost in their sins, and don't know Jesus as Lord, we pray your word will speak to them. And for those of us who are your church, Lord, we need you to strengthen us and encourage us, convict us, challenge us, build us up as your people through your word. Thank you for the opportunity to be in this fascinating book of the Bible. We ask you teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, look at the passage. I've given you two warnings. I've already to turn there. So here's the third warning. If you haven't already, turn to Revelation 11. And we're going to look at verses 3 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you, under a seat, in the back, or in the back of the pew, in the front section, upstairs. They may be somewhere. Good luck. And uh, but find a Bible. If you don't have one at home, please take that home. Let that be our gift to you. Revelation chapter 11, starting in verse 3. I will grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy for 1,260 days dressed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone wants to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. They have authority to close up the sky so that it does not rain during the days of their prophecy. They also have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague whenever they want. When they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war on them, conquer them, and kill them. Their dead bodies will lie on the main street of the great city, which figuratively is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And some of the peoples, tribes, languages, and nations will view their bodies for three and a half days and not permit their bodies to be put 
15. Those who live on the earth will gloat over them and celebrate and send gifts to one another because these two prophets had tormented those who live on the earth. But after three and a half days, the breath of life he got from God entered them, and they stood on their feet. Great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. They went up to heaven in a cloud, while their enemies watched them. At that moment, a violent earthquake took place. A tenth of the city fell, and 7,000 people, people were killed in the earthquake. The survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. All right, well, that's where we're going to stop today. And in case you didn't catch on, this is a weird story. A true story, a weird story. And I'm just going to be very upfront with you right now and say there's no way we're going to cover all of the things in this passage. I encourage you to dig into it some more on your own. You're certainly welcome and invited to ask questions of me or any of our pastors uh, who may be able to answer specific questions. But there's a lot to cover in this, and we're going to cover some of it. Uh, we want to make, I want to make a few introductory comments first, and then I want to introduce three truths to you, which are in your notes, uh, about what is true of these witnesses and the servants of God. Before I do that, though, I want to give you some basic information about the passage that is not in your notes, so you're welcome to write it in there. But first, let's answer this question, who are the witnesses? Who are the witnesses? Well, I'm going to come right out and say it. We don't know who they are. So there you go. Next question. No, I'm just kidding. We're going to talk about some, we're going to talk about some theories about who they might be. There is no way for us to know who they are. Of course, the Lord God knows who they are. But we don't. Maybe we will if we're here at that point. But we don't know who they are just from this passage. Some believe that these two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. Uh, these are two of the greatest heroes of Israel. And two of God's most faithful servants, Moses and Elijah. Also, there's some evidence to see something like this happens, sort of, when Jesus is transfigured in the Gospels. We read this in Matthew 17. Jesus is transfigured, and with him at the time are Moses and Elijah. So there is evidence that Moses and Elijah came back to the earth for that moment. Perhaps we'll come back again. We don't know for sure. Others think these two witnesses are Elijah and Enoch. Elijah and Enoch. Why would they think this? Well, again, these are two faithful servants of God in the Old Testament. But, uh, most importantly, for this theory, Elijah and Enoch both did not die in the traditional sense. They both went up to heaven miraculously. Now, if they were still alive on the earth, they would have been dead by now, because they would have been thousands of years old. But they didn't die on the earth. And so some are saying, well, these could be the two, Elijah and Enoch. Others have suggested perhaps Elijah and Elisha, two of the most powerful prophets who actually worked together for a small period of time as Elisha was the prophet who took over after Elijah. And so some think, well, this could be Elijah and Elisha. Uh, some think that these uh, two witnesses are not actually people, but they are representative symbols for something. And some of you may say, well, that wouldn't happen. Well, if you read the book of Revelation, actually, you know that happens a lot in the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation is what we call apocalyptic literature, meaning that there are many uh, 
exaggerations, many symbols, many things that may not be taken exactly the way we read them at first glance. And you might say, well, how do you know that? I'll give you an example. Just in this passage, they are referred to as two olive trees, two lampstands, and two people. So they can't be all of those at the same time, right? So surely there is some sort of representation in some sense. So perhaps they, are, I doubt they're actually olive trees or lampstands, okay? So perhaps they literally are people, or perhaps they represent something as the olive trees and the lampstands represent something. Well, what would they represent? I'm glad you asked. Okay, so we have some different theories on those as well. Perhaps the two witnesses represent the Old Testament law and prophets. The law and the prophets. In fact, oftentimes when uh, Jewish people speak of the Old Testament, they speak of the law and the prophets. The law would be the first five books of the Old Testament called the Pentateuch or the Torah. And the prophets would come after the first five books. Okay, and that kind of, again, would be Moses and Elijah in that sense as well. So perhaps they represent the law and the prophets. Perhaps they represent the law and the gospel. We hear Paul talk about the law and the gospel in the book of Romans. He talks about the old way of things and the new way of things. The law and the gospel. On that same note, speaking of the old way and the new way, perhaps they represent the old covenant and the new covenant. The Old Covenant is the way things were done before Jesus came to the earth. The New Covenant is the way things were done since Jesus came to the earth in terms of the way people relate and worship God. A leading theory, perhaps one of the strongest theories, if these are not actually people, is that they represent the church. They just simply represent the church with a capital C, meaning all Christians throughout all time since the founding of the church in the book of Acts. Okay? So perhaps that is what they mean. However, there's really no way to prove who these witnesses actually are or to prove which symbols they actually represent. In fact, one theory that doesn't gain a lot of traction but could certainly be possible is that these are two new people. They're not actually some people who come back to the earth. These are just two brand new prophets of God. Perhaps it could be that as well. So we really don't know the identity of the witnesses. So if you came this morning hoping for that, you can receive a refund on the way. <laughs> Second question we want to answer is, or point out, is what are the similarities with other biblical figures? I dare say many of you who know the Bible well, when you read this passage or heard it read, you started to identify similarities in this passage and with other biblical figures. Well, let's look at some of those similarities. First of all, we see that they prophesied. These witnesses, also called the two prophets, they prophesied as many figures did in the scriptures, including the Old Testament prophets, including John the Baptizer, early in the New Testament, including Jesus himself. All of them, all those figures, Prophesied, and these two witnesses will also prophesy. So there's some similarities there. Another similarity we see is that they wore sackcloth. Now, if you don't know what sackcloth is, it's like a ratty type of clothing that you just, I, I always think of like a burlap sack, okay? It's this idea of putting on something that's generally a sign of repentance 
or contrition before God, meaning you're getting before God in a humble, lowly state. But we have other folks who dress this way. So, for instance, we see a lot of times sackcloth among the kings and prophets of the Old Testament to, to symbolize repentance. But we also, two of our most famous prophets in the Bible, wore like animal skins and lowly clothes, including Elijah and John the Baptist. Both of them dressed like you would not dress when you come to church on Sunday morning. Okay? And we see these witnesses dressing in such a manner. A third similarity we see is that fire comes from their mouth and consumes their enemies. Now you might say, I don't remember fire coming from somebody's mouth from the Bible. Well, you'd be correct, but we do have several instances of fire used as an instrument or a quality of God. For instance, you can write these down, I know they're not on the screen, but Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, Hebrews 12, 29, says, Our God is a consuming fire. Uh, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, 2 Peter 3, 12, it says, The heavens will be dissolved with fire, and the elements will melt with heat. Also, in one of our least reference books, Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 8. If you don't know how to spell that, go towards the end of the Old Testament. You'll see it in that area. Zephaniah 3, 8 says, For the whole earth will be consumed by the fire of my jealousy. So we see a similar quality in these two witnesses that we see as described by the power of God in the Bible. Also, we see that these witnesses control the natural world and create Plagues. Well, we saw this uh, most notably with Moses and Aaron during the time of the Exodus. But we also see this with some of the prophets of the Old Testament. Of course, we see it with Jesus as well. Another similarity we see is that these prophets, uh, these witnesses, will suffer and die. As many of the Old Testament prophets suffered, so also will these witnesses. As John the Baptizer suffered and died, so will these two witnesses. As Jesus suffered and died, as the apostles suffered and died, so also will these two witnesses. We also see they were raised to new life. Can you think of anyone in the Bible who was raised to new life? Of course, Jesus, right? We see other examples as well. But Jesus, most notably, suffered and died and was raised to new life. Another similarity we see, we're almost there, we've almost got them all covered, but we see a voice from heaven spoke to them. Again, we think of Jesus. We know of two moments in the life and ministry of Jesus where the Father spoke from heaven when Jesus was baptized and when Jesus was transfigured, as I've already mentioned that story earlier. These are in Matthew chapter 3 when he was baptized, Matthew chapter 17. When he was transfigured. If you want to read those later, you should be welcome to. We also see uh, just a few more that they went up to heaven in a cloud. Okay, we see this uh, similar story in Elijah. He was not in a cloud, he was in a chariot of fire, but it was a similar situation where he went up to heaven in a powerful presence. But we also see it literally went up into heaven in a cloud when Jesus. Ascended into heaven in the early uh, part of the book of Acts. We see Jesus went into heaven after he gave the power.
powerful commission in Acts 1.8 that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we will be his witnesses. Then he went up into heaven in a cloud. So we see this with the witnesses as well. Two more, at least. But I'm only going to share some more. The uh, next one is an earthquake came. You may remember at the crucifixion of Jesus, there was an earthquake. It was so powerful, it split open the graves of people who had been, uh, been buried, as well as tearing the, the curtain in the temple. Uh, this is something that happened at the crucifixion of Jesus. We see it as well in this passage with the two witnesses. Finally, we'll point out, after seeing these amazing things, people glorified God. As at the ministry of Elijah on Mount Carmel, uh, my favorite Old Testament story is Elijah on Mount Carmel. I have had the blessing of actually going to Mount Carmel, and it was awesome. Uh, it's a great story. We don't know anything about Elijah at Mount Carmel. But at that moment, when the Lord God showed up, by the way, with fire, uh, the people proclaimed, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. But we also see this when Jesus calmed the storm in the sea. The disciples said, who is this man that the winds and the waves obey him? We saw it at the crucifixion of Jesus as the Roman soldier looked on and said, surely this man was the Son of God. There's many other stories as well. But that is a lot of similarities, isn't it? I mean, there's something powerful happening here with the two witnesses. I've already shared a lot of information. Some of you may need a mental break. Everybody take a deep breath in. Ah. All right, you can still listen here. Okay. But it's not, we're not sure exactly who these witnesses are. But there are a number of parallels between them and between other people and other events in the Bible. So there may be some hints to what's happening with these witnesses, but there's no definitive answer. But not only are there some parallel factors among these witnesses and others in the Bible, but there are some parallel truths that apply to these witnesses, but it will also apply to every servant of God. So as we talk about this weird story, I want to talk about what are some parallel truths that not only apply to these two witnesses, but apply to every servant of God. So if you have your bulletin, write this, this first. There will be great victory for God's servants. There will be great victory for God's servants. As with these two witnesses, who initially had great victory, so also there will be times of great victory for the church of Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 3. Look at the passage. Look again at verse 3. It says, I will grant my two witnesses authority. Authority. God has given these witnesses authority, and with the authority of God comes victory. There's victory. When God blesses something, when God commissions something, when God gives something or someone authority, He brings with it success on some level. Uh, we may remember the time another person was given authority to minister. You may remember Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, the beginning of what we call the Great Commission. Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Jesus was given authority and Jesus gave authority 
his disciples, to those who follow him, to go. And there is victory, there is success when Jesus says to go. Also remember, as I've mentioned a lot recently, sometimes I find myself sharing the same truths over and over. And I think that's good because uh, repetition is part of learning, is it not? And so we see here, uh, Matthew chapter 16, you may remember, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, it's not on the screen, but you remember, we talk about this a lot, where it says the gates, Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. You remember that? I mean, maybe I haven't shared it enough. But Jesus says the gates of, he says, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. There will be victory for the church. Jesus has the authority. He has given the authority. He's told us to go. And he said, you will be victorious. So what we witness with these witnesses, whether they're actual people or whether they represent something, is nothing less than the reality that God's servants will have a time of powerful ministry and success when it comes to the mission of God. Now, to be clear, that victory is not constant and permanent all the time. We have ebbs and flows in the life of the church. You see the church blossoming in certain parts of the world and suffering in other parts of the world. Sometimes that's due to our lack of faithfulness. Sometimes it's due to the Lord working out His own will in His own way. But we are promised victory. These men prophesied, and we learn in verse 5, that if anyone got in their way, Fire came from their mouths to destroy them. I don't know about you, but that sounds victorious to me, right? In fact, I wish sometimes I could tap into that power. You know, if somebody, somebody starts bad mouth in the church, say, oh, everybody stand back, watch this. Whoa! You know, just fire comes from your mouth. Verse, and this is just amazing. Verse 6 also says that they have authority. Authority to do many miraculous wonders in the world, including... Stopping rain, turning water to blood, and striking the earth with plagues. I mean, these witnesses were having victory. And there is victory for all of God's servants at times. That victory is not constant. And that takes us to our second parallel truth for us and for all the servants of God. There will be great suffering for God's servants. There will be great suffering for God's servants. There will be suffering in this world for God's people. Now, some of you might look at this passage and say, all right, Pastor Matt, I'm not convinced from this passage that this really applies to other followers of God outside of these two witnesses. Well, I appreciate your skepticism. Listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous. I have come. Jesus himself said we would have suffering. It's actually the exact opposite of people saying, well, Jesus actually said we wouldn't suffer in this world. It's actually the exact opposite of what he actually said. He said you will have suffering in this world. Now, he does encourage us. He says, be, be encouraged. I have overcome the world of many of God's servants from the very foundations of the scriptures, many have suffered. Not only in the Bible, but all throughout Christian history. And many are suffering right now. Many can't even openly meet as we meet 
for fear of actual death and having their churches burned to the ground. They are suffering now. Notice in this passage, starting in verse 7, that these servants of God suffered greatly. I mean, they, they paid the ultimate price. In fact, we see they weren't merely killed. We see the beast from the bottomless pit came up to destroy them, to kill these servants of God. Now, we're not even exactly sure who the beast is. It's, it's certainly obvious from the scriptures. He is a tremendously evil and powerful spiritual force. But he does not give any mercy. He comes and he stops the work of these servants of God. He puts them to death, at least temporarily. He stops the work of these prophets. And not only are these servants of God killed, but we see in verse 8 that their bodies lie in the street. Which, by the way, in case you didn't know it, according to Jewish custom, that's an abomination. The bodies need to be buried according to Jewish custom. And really, most all cultures don't think it's okay to let bodies lie in the street. But their bodies are lying, lying in the street in a disgraceful way. And as their bodies lie in the street, not only are they dead, not only do they suffer, but the entire earth celebrates their deaths. And they even exchange gifts as if it's some sort of holiday that these men of God, these people of God have died. They exchange gifts and the, the earth celebrates their, their death. Now again, we don't know if these two are literal men or whether they represent something big. But we do know that these verses describe a terrible experience of suffering for God's servants. However, this is not the end of the story. We see that there will be a great resurrection for God's servants. There will be a great resurrection for God's servants. This weird story does not end in verse 10. It continues on. Look with me at the Bible again. Look at verses 11, 12, and 13. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them. And they stood on their feet. Great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. They went up to heaven in a cloud while the enemies watched them. At that moment, a violent earthquake took place. A tenth of the city fell. And 7,000 people were killed in the earth. The survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. So we see here this moment of a great resurrection for these servants of God. We see these witnesses are standing up alive again. And as a result of standing up alive, it says great fear fell among their enemies. Now imagine part of the fear that fell on everyone was that they were freaked out that two dead people were alive again. I don't know about you, but that would freak me out. Okay, I've, I've done a lot of funerals, and I've never seen one of them stand back up, one of the people stand back up. And if it happened, the first thing I would probably do is freak out. Then I might give glory to God in heaven. You know, this is a miracle, right? But these are enemies of God, enemies of the witnesses, and they, it says great fear fell upon them. Don't forget, these were people that were just celebrating the fact that these men were dead. And don't forget before that, these were people that witnessed fire coming from their mouths and consuming their enemies. 
I mean, it's sort of like, you know, you get caught with your hand in the cookie jar, right? You get caught celebrating the death of these people who breathe fire out, and all of a sudden, they're alive again. You might wonder, what's going to happen now? And it said, great fear fell upon them because of this great resurrection among these servants of God. Then we hear a voice from heaven, which is always a sign. By the way, if you look at the scriptures, anytime you see a voice from heaven, it's always a sign of God's authority speaking into the situation. I've already mentioned when Jesus was baptized, when Jesus was transfigured, you hear the voice of heaven giving, giving authority to the situation and saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Like it's the authority of God. And we see other instances where the voice of God is heard. It always brings with it authority. And we see here the voice from heaven speak to the witnesses. Saying, come up here. And then the witnesses went up into heaven in the cloud. Of course, that's not the end of the story. After the being up to heaven, an earthquake came, took out a tenth of the city, killed 7,000 people. Again, these numbers could be figurative. Ten and seven are great, uh, uh, highly repeated numbers in the Bible, so it could be uh, symbolic numbers. But nevertheless, it's a great catastrophic event when this earthquake comes. And then it says that they, those who remain gave glory to God. I think it's worth noting when we see this, to say that they gave glory to God doesn't necessarily mean that they became Christians and started going to church and reading their Bible every day. It may mean that, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. What it could also mean is that they recognized the power of the one true living God. They were like, whoa, there really is a God. Now, the scriptures are also clear that some people really believe in God, yet still do not worship Him. Still do not bow before his authority. That may be what happened here. Perhaps these people do turn to the Lord. In, in any case, we see that they glorify God. Clearly, God did this. Clearly, God caused this great resurrection. And clearly, God is wonderful. Church, we must understand the witnesses had great victory. Then they suffered greatly. Then they experienced a great resurrection. There's also a great resurrection promised for all of us who are in Jesus. Paul describes this resurrection of followers of Jesus in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, when he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout of the archangel's voice and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are still alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Paul said also in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait for a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 3, If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. 
powerful truths in those verses and many more throughout the scriptures. And we must remember, church, no matter what happens on this earth, God will make all things new, all things good, and all things right. And he will raise you and all of us to follow Jesus to new life. We must remember the power of the resurrection. There is a great resurrection for God's servants. And that brings us to our bottom line. God has great plans for his servants. God has great plans for his servants. Now I want to be clear. God never promised that life on this earth would be perfect and lovely. Jesus said quite the opposite. That you will have suffering in this world. However, God did promise that eternity would be perfect and lovely. He has great plans for you. We are often discouraged or fearful or anxious because we're only focusing on the time God has given us on this earth instead of the promises of eternity that are guaranteed for us in the gospel. We lose sight of that which awaits us because of the moment we're living in. Now, we must remember the truth of God, God's word. We will suffer. Some of you are suffering right now. We will suffer. But we will experience ultimate view when Christ brings us the resurrection. God has great plans for us and we can trust Him. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Sometimes we don't understand how in the world is this working for good? This does not seem good in those moments. Trust God. Trust the resurrection that is to come. I will remind you in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 that God said, I will never leave you or abandon you. He's with us. He was with those witnesses as they were suffering at the hands of the beast. When they were lying in the street dead. The Lord was in charge of all things. And he knew Three and a half days, there was coming a great resurrection. And he knew a voice from heaven would say to them, come up here. And they would experience that day, paradise reserved for them. God knew that. God had a plan for their lives. Now, he doesn't always tell us exactly what the plans are for our lives. He doesn't always tell us exactly what the plans are for our church. Some of us would look back and say, I thought something was happening. And then COVID-19 hit. I mean, I, can, I talk with my pastor friends. They'll say, how's it going at church? I say, it's going really well. And then COVID hit. And since then, it's going really well again. But we had to start back where we started before. Why did God do that? I have no idea. But I do know this. God works all things together for good. Why have I gone through suffering in my life? Why have you gone through suffering in my life? I have no idea. God will never leave or abandon. And He's promised victory suffering and a great resurrection. He has promised that to you. God has great plans for us that will culminate with us entering his presence into his glory and into his paradise for all eternity. God was doing something weird and mysterious with these two witnesses and I am sure that some of you said there's so many questions you didn't answer. I know. I know. There's so many that I can't answer. 
But I'd love to talk to you more about it, but we don't have it all figured out. But we know this. This story ended with these witnesses in heaven and with God receiving glory. And that is promised for every servant of God. So as we walk away from this passage in just a moment, as we leave this, this worship service in just a moment, challenge yourself in these two ways. Which challenge number one? Determine if you trust God with your future. Determine if you trust God with your future. The reality is, some of us could end up suffering greatly for the cause of Christ. We talked about this Wednesday night over next door in our systematic theology study, which is now over, by the way. We're going to start a new study as we talk about church history a little bit. But we talked about this. I asked the question, do you think the world is getting more accepting of Christians or less accepting of Christians? And almost to a person, they all said, less accepting of Christians. It's getting harder for Christians. The reality is many of us could suffer greatly for being faithful to God as these witnesses did. So ask yourself, challenge yourself this week, do you trust God with your suffering? Now for some of us, it may not be spiritual suffering of that sort, it may be a physical suffering. You may be going through things right now that you have no idea what you did to bring that in your life. The reality is, you may not have done anything to bring that in your life. Maybe you did, maybe you didn't. The Bible paints a picture of both scenarios. But do you trust God with your suffering? In that moment of suffering, trust Him that He's in control and He has good plan. Do you trust God for your future resurrection? Do you trust that He will make all things right, take away your humble, lowly body, give you a new glorious mind and a new glorious eternity? Do you trust Him? Yeah. Do you trust God in your future? Weekly challenge number two. Submit yourself as a servant of God. Submit yourself as a servant of God. These two witnesses, whoever they are, whatever they represent, they clearly trusted God and His plan for them. They were submitted as servants of God. What about you? Are you submitted to be a servant of God? Will you be faithful, not only in the moments of victory, but also in the moments of suffering? Well, it's hard to be strong when you're breathing out fire on your enemies. You might say to your buddy who wants this. It's easy to be faithful to the Lord then. But what about your moments? Will you submit yourself to God? Will you be a faithful follower? As we prepare to close in just a moment, we're going to sing a song, He Will Hold Me Fast. We sing that song, we must remember that God has us secure in His arms. Every tear you shed, He sees that tear. By the way, He will wipe away every tear in the great resurrection. Every moment you suffer, he sees that suffering. By the way, he will eliminate all suffering in the great resurrection. Every 
that every time you are affected by someone else's sin, we cease that. And by the way, we will eliminate all sin in the great resurrection. Church, He will hold you fast. He will hold you close to Him. He will protect you. He has your future secure. As we sing, trust in Him. Submit yourself to Him. Trust that there will be victory, there will be suffering, and there will be a great resurrection. Before we close, there are some here today who surely do not know God as their Lord and Savior. Have not submitted themselves to Him. Have not trusted Him as your boss. The Bible says, Jesus came and He trusted God's will for His life. And He submitted His life as a servant of God. And that involved him suffering. He had moments of great victory. He brought dead people back to life. He healed the blind and the deaf and the lame. He turned water into wine. He fed 5,000 people. And then he fed 4,000 people. He walked on water. He calmed the winds and the waves. And then he suffered greatly. Not sinning one time. He paid the penalty of sin by dying on the cross. A penalty that was reserved for us who are sinners. The Bible says the payment of sin, the wages of sin, is death. Jesus paid that payment. Because he was faithful. And he was submitted. And he suffered. But as with these witnesses, that was not the end of the story. Jesus experienced a great resurrection. And there was an earthquake. And people glorified God and said... Truly, this man was the Son of God. And he rose from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, showing the evil one he had no power over him. He appeared in heaven and on the earth and saw people, hung out with them and talked with them and ate with them. And then he went up to heaven in a cloud. And he promised God's Holy Spirit to be with us, his church. And the Bible says, if you are still lost in your sin, call upon the name of Jesus and ask him to give you your sin. That he could pay the penalty for your sin. You could receive the new life that he earned on your behalf. You could receive all the promises of the great resurrection that awaits you. Some of you might say, well, when will that happen? I don't know. But it's going to happen. And it is promised and it is secure. So trusting God, call out to him to save you from your sins. To give you a new life. And to give you hope for eternity with Him. Rescue from evil. Rescue from sin. Rescue from the consequences of sin, which is an eternal punishment in a real place called hell. In just a moment, as we sing, He will hold you fast. Call out to Jesus, and He will hold you fast. Come see me as I sing down here with my family. Come see Pastor Richard as he sings to his family. Come to us and say, I need to know what it means to follow Jesus. I need to be saved. I need to experience that God can hold me back. And if you're a follower of Jesus, and maybe you need some encouragement or some prayer, or you have a question, come down. Our, your pastors would love to talk to you. We'd love to talk to you even as we see. Maybe you need to come down and spend some time in prayer on these steps. We feel like God is leading you to do so. Please be faithful to how the Lord is leading you. Maybe right where you stand or sit as we sing, you feel the Lord leading you in some way. Be obedient to the Lord. However God is leading Even after our service is over, you might say, I feel God leading me 
talk to someone about what he's doing in my life or some questions I might have, please reach out to us. We'd love to be faithful to what God's calling us to do to help you be faithful to what he's calling you to do. Join me now in prayer as we prepare to sing Even Holy Christ.